Well, good morning. Looks like uh, one more week in uh, prophecy and we should have this place empty, huh? <laughs> Excuse me. We are uh, back in that Italian prophet, Malachi. Started uh, Malachi last week. But before we get uh, into this next portion, there's a couple of things we uh, want to review. God began his message through Malachi by saying, I love you. That's the underlying message of the entire book. The God of the universe loves you. He loves you individually and personally. And like I said, that's the basis for everything else that's said in this in the book of Malachi. God expresses his love by pursuing us. He loves us too much to just let us slip away. He loves us enough to come to us and to talk with us about uh, what we're doing, how we're hurting him, what we're doing to our relationship with him. Again, he does this because he loves us and he wants a better relationship with us. It isn't love that sits by and does nothing while someone we really care about is destroying their lives. It isn't love that uh, says nothing when someone we love is doing things that destroy their relationship with us. See, love requires that we care enough to, to tell them how we are feeling, what's happening. Story I've told you before, but it's an important one in my life, so it comes up a lot. The time when Becky and I um, went through a major disappointment. We were going to adopt a child, and it fell through at the last minute. We'd made all the preparations, we'd made all the arrangements, we'd prepared our children for the addition uh, of a new member to the family, we'd prepared a room, we were just waiting out the time for the baby to be delivered. The day... Uh, the uh, baby was born, the birth mother changed her mind, decided to give the baby to someone else. As we got off the phone hearing the news, I said, well, that's God's will. We prayed for God's will. That's that. I uh, refused to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it. Becky was grieving openly and honestly before God, but I shut her out. I didn't want to see her pain, so I pushed her away. I uh, just refused to let it let, let it penetrate. In my uh, sanctimonious way, I acted like she was somehow unspiritual because she hurt. Now, Becky had two choices. She could withdraw and protect herself from my sin and, and denial, or she could confront what I was doing to her and to our relationship. I am so grateful that she... Uh, cared enough to confront. She came to me, told me how I was hurting her, how I was denigrating her relationship with God, how uh, I was uh, damaging our relationship, abandoning her. She finished the conversation by saying, I love you and I want to go through this with you, but if you can't, God is there for me. I only wish you could be there for me and I could be there for you. My first reaction was to resent her all the more. It made me angry to imply that I was not responding in a righteous way. 
But God used her words to break down my heart. I became miserable. I became mean. But uh, I had to face myself and uh, face my distrust of God that was expressing itself by my dishonesty to him and to myself and to my wife. This was a, a, a turning point in my life. And I tell you right now, I praise God for a wife who loved me enough to come after me. Now, she didn't badger me. She couldn't change my heart. But she loved me enough to tell me what uh, my attitudes and behavior were doing to her and to our relationship. See, this is how God loves us. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't badger us. But he loves us enough to come and to talk to us about how we're uh, treating him, how we're hurting him, what we're doing to our relationship with him. This is what's going on in the book of Malachi. God is coming to us. He's expressing his love by telling us what's going on, talking to us about what we're doing. We saw some of that in chapter 1 where God talked about uh, how we give him the throwaway parts of our lives. But again, before we get into the, the chapter 2 where he does point out more of these things, we have to remember why he does it. God doesn't point out our faults to push us away. He does it because he loves us and he wants a better relationship with us. He wants to draw us toward himself. He wants a healthy and honest and loving relationship with us. So let's get into chapter 2, Malachi 2, verse 1. And now this admonition is for you, O priests. He's uh, addressing the priest. But if you remember Revelation 1, 6 says that Jesus made us a kingdom of priests so that we might serve his God and Father. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are, how does it go, that you are priests that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. You see, if you're a believer, Jesus has made you a priest. So this applies to you. But it's also worth noting what Jesus' design was in making us priests. It was so that we could serve God, and we could we could proclaim His excellencies to the people around us. Verse 2, if you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you've not set your heart to honor me. It says, if you don't take this seriously, if you don't set your heart on him, you're going to suffer a curse. We are going to suffer a curse. Now, what is it that we're to take seriously? He says, take seriously giving honor to his name. Well, we don't want to suffer a curse, so how do we honor his name? The word honor literally means to give weight to. He's telling us to, to, to give weight to who he is, to what he wants. That should become the heaviest issue in our life. That should become the priority what he wants, who he is. That should be number one in our life. Not work, not uh, recreation, not uh, other people's opinion of us, not relationships even. But he and who he is and what he wants becomes the number one issue in our lives. We must ask him 
to rearrange our thinking, rearrange our, our lives so that growing in Christ, walking with Him, drawing close to Him becomes the heaviest issue in your life. Or, he says, I will curse your blessings. Now, this is obviously a bummer, but what is he talking about? (laughs) Your blessings are the things that God has given you to enjoy. Eating, working, studying, recreation, play, relationships, sex, your occupation, your, your friends, all these things that God has given us to enjoy says he will curse them. Life will dry up. The thrill is gone. It loses its joy. See, that's what happens when we don't make God the number one issue. The things that he's given us to enjoy seem to lose the life that's in them. Sin has a a clear pathology that that all of us are too familiar with. We're drawn towards sin because it looks attractive. It looks fun. Or it looks like it's going to provide relief from from pain or or some difficulty. So we try it. And it is enjoyable. It is fun. It does provide some relief. And so we embrace it. You see, there's an inevitable devolution. Sin goes from delight to death. It it worked for us once, so we insist that it's going to work again if we just hang with it. It's going to give us what we need, but it doesn't. It guts us. begins to rob us of our satisfaction and our peace. begins to take away all the joys that God has given us. They no longer bring us joy. They no longer bring us delight. The fun is gone and there's only death. See, a a little selfishness feels good at first, but as selfishness wraps its tentacles around our personalities, we become bitter and unhappy, unable to experience joy. A, A little sexual indiscretion feels exciting, But as lust asserts its dominance over our imaginations, we begin to lose the joy in life. We become ensnared and oppressed. See, that's always the pattern with sin. The things that uh, God gave us to enjoy lose their pleasure, lose their joy. And look what he says. He says, if you do not take this to heart... This is what's going to happen. In fact, it's already started to happen. He's telling us to look around. Check it out. Is life drying up? Are are your joys kind of a forgotten memory? The satisfaction gone. The Rolling Stones had it right. I can't get no satisfaction. All the things that God gives us to enjoy dry up, become empty. In verse 3, gets a little bit graphic here. He says, Because of you I will rebuke your seed. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be carried off with it. Now this is gross. When a sacrifice was offered, the stomach and the intestines were, were taken out because they were full of excrement. They were taken outside of the camp and, and, and burned. They were not offered. 
And this is what God is saying that he's going to smear all over their faces. Now, this is gross. What what is God saying here? I I think what he's doing is trying to express his revulsion at at their religious phoniness. It, It repulses him. It's gross. Their religion gets ugly. And when we fail to to, to have God in the center of our lives, our religion gets ugly, becomes hypocritical. We play games. We put on masks. We generally gross God out. But His desire, again, is not to push us away and telling us, why would He do something like this? Listen to Psalm 83, 16. Cover their faces with shame so that men will seek your name, O Lord. See, the goal isn't to humiliate. It's to expose what's in the heart so that people will will turn back to him. God's desire is is to remove the masks. Let us see what we're doing and see how repulsive it really is and turn to him. His his desire, his goal is redemptive. Listen to verse 4. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. Again, his purpose is redemptive. He wants them and he wants us to be able to continue to be effective as priests. The Levites, the the, the priests were the sons of Levi. And he wants them and he wants us to be able to continue to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us. That's His heart. His desire is to bring us back, to use us for His glory. And then verses 5 through 7 describe what this, uh, what He wants this to look like, what it has been and what it should be again. Verse 5, My covenant was with Him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to Him. This called for fear, and He feared me, and He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. First notice that God's intent in making this arrangement was to give life. And peace. In fact, only by coming to God, by drawing close to Him, can we experience life. And it is He who gives us peace, that peace inside. And that's His desire. That's what He wants to do. This is in the context of fearing God. That means respecting enough to trust Him, to take Him at His word, to trust His word above our own feelings. To trust his heart and his love for us. That what he's telling us is good and right. This respect uh, resulted in their appreciation of God's word. Uh, The the word translated here, true instruction, uh, literally means the the law of truth. The word in Hebrew is the Torah, uh, the the scripture, the Old Testament. And these uh, priests honored the Old Testament. They taught it. They never said anything that went against what the Scripture said and and went along with the the philosophies of their day. They lived their life in a way 
that reflected this allegiance to the truth. They walked with God. And that says a lot. They, they talked with Him. They involved Him in the details of their lives. As a result, they lived in a way that confirmed the truth. And others could see that truth in their lives. And they were attracted to it. They could see that it was true. And it says that it affected many. It saved many from their sin. It rescued many from the the, the destruction to themselves and to their emotions and to their relationships. This is the way it should be. We should be able to hold on to the truth and walk with God. You can't tear those apart. You can't just do one or the other. You've got to do them together. If, if you try to hold on to the truth and leave out walking with God, begin to use the truth brutally in our own lives and in other people's lives, begin to use the Scripture as a means to keep God away. We, we come to the Scriptures and we learn all the rules so that we can do it ourselves and cut God out of our lives. And that's not what the Scriptures are for. The ultimate purpose of the Scriptures is so that we can see God more clearly and be drawn to Him and come to Him. Experience His love. But if you try to walk with God and abandon truth, on the other side, you end up deceiving yourself. The God that you walk with is not the true God. It's some distorted image. It's a God who would never ask you to do the hard thing who would never deny you any selfish pleasure. Again, that's not the true God. And that's not worshiping and walking with God in truth. Again, you have to keep both of these together, holding on to the truth as we walk with God. And doing these things together make make us effective as priests, make us effective in rescuing others which is what a, what a priest was there to do, to, to bring truth, to, to bring God's love to others. People should be able to count on us not to say just what they want to hear. Malachi said, we are messengers of God. We speak for God. And so we need to be careful to be giving them the truth as God is teaching it to us. That's what they need. That's what they should have. Then uh, Malachi starts verse 8 with, but you. The contrast here. And each of us kind of have to ask, is this me? He says, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. God says you haven't held on to the truth. You've allowed your own resistance to God to color what you tell other people. You, you, you've turned aside, gone your own way. You, you've let your own feelings, your own judgments dictate your, your course of action rather than submitting to God's word and to God. You go by the way things seem to you, and you've left God behind, not discussing things with Him, not giving Him that weight, not giving Him that priority. And the results are twofold. First, people who look to us to see Christ don't see anything worth having. They say, if that's a Christian, who wants it? 
And secondly, the respect that we wanted, the respect that we compromise ourselves to get backfires. We lose it. People don't respect. In fact, they're they're repulsed, he says. Now, these are hard words. I'm hoping that, that I'm not just beating you with them. We want to understand them. It's been hard for me. But again, God's desire in in bringing us His Word is not to depress us, not to move us to despair, but to warn us. I have some friends who have a boat on the uh, Sacramento River. It's a houseboat, big one, two big engines. And uh, they're very generous with this boat. They loan it out to family and to friends. They are telling me about one time they loaned it to some people. While these people were using it, the little uh, engine oil warning light came on, indicating that one of the engines was low on oil. For some reason, these people assumed that the oil light must not be working properly. And so they ignored it. In fact, they reached behind the dashboard and unplugged it so they wouldn't have to look at it. Unfortunately, uh, the light was working fine. The problem wasn't the light. The problem was that one engine was out of oil. And it seized up and they completely ruined one of the engines. You see, the problem wasn't the light. The problem was that the engine was low on oil. The light was a good thing. The problem isn't God's Word. God's Word is a good thing. You see, God has made a way back for us. But without warning, we won't use it. See, remember, God's desire is to give us life and peace. He loves us. So stick with me. Uh, As we finish the chapter, there are more warnings. uh, Malachi says this failure to give God his proper place in our lives begins to have an effect. It bears bad fruit in our relationship with others. First of all, he says in our relationship with our spiritual family, with each other. And then in our relationships, in our physical family, especially with our spouse. Verse 10, he says, Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? He says we've broken faith with each other. Now, uh, what that word to break faith literally means uh, in other translations it's to act treacherously it refers to violating a contract or an agreement and you may say I wasn't aware I had any agreement with you guys but the uh, scriptures are very explicit on the obligations that brothers have for each other in fact in the Old Testament the book of Obadiah is a description of the destruction of Edom because of their wickedness toward their brother Judah. Now, what was their wickedness? What they did was to sit by and watch when Judah was in need. They didn't do anything, and that's all they did. And that's why God judges them, because they should have done something when their brother was in need. See, and the New Testament is permeated with this. We are called to love each other, to submit to each other, to do our best to make each other successful, to serve each other, to give to each other, to encourage 
each other. You see, our obligations are implicit in the family relationship. Now, as we give God proper weight in our lives, our commitments to each other will grow. Our commitment to serve each other. In fact, 1 John 4 goes so far as to say that uh, our, our love for each other is really the litmus test for our devotion to God. As our devotion to God increases, our devotion to each other increases. Uh, spending time together in small groups, in, in growth groups, or getting together one-on-one to encourage each other, to listen to each other. These things become a greater priority. Sharing with each other, praying for each other, taking on responsibilities that, that add to the common good. These things will increase. But on the other hand, as our relationship with God suffers, so does our commitment to each other. It's got to be affected. We stand by and watch while our brothers or sisters are in need, and we do nothing. We violate our covenant. We break faith with each other. Then Malachi points out another symptom of not giving God due weight in our lives. Verses 11 and 12. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. He says that Judah has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now what he's talking about here is marrying unbelievers. It's not talking about interracial marriage. This isn't a racial thing. The Israelites were free to marry people of other races. Moses' wife was black. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite. And she becomes the great-grandmother of David in the line of Jesus. These people were of different races, but they were worshipers of the true God. The issue here isn't racial. The issue here is one's relationship with God. And what God is decrying here is marrying unbelievers. Now, this isn't to say that, that, that unbelievers are bad people or that they're somehow unloving. It's just not true. In fact, uh, they can be extremely loving. They can be wonderful. They can be great people. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul asks, how can we be joined together in, in, in an ultimate partnership with someone who's moving in a different direction, who's, who, whose priority is not to serve God, who's headed uh, in a different direction? The result will inevitably be painful. And one of two things uh, may happen. One is that the believer uh, either abandons their faith or compromises their faith in order to try to, uh, to seek unity with their partner. But even here, if, it's a, if the person's a true believer, eventually they come back to God. And the other possibility comes into play. And that is that, uh, that, that uh, the, the believer will be faithful to God but there will just be a, a limit to how far the unity can go in the relationship. At the core of their being, the, there's something that the couple can't ultimately share. And that's a, that's a loss. That hurts. 
And there are many of you in this congregation who are in that situation. Some of you are in that situation by no fault of your own. You, uh, your spouse changed after you were married or, or uh, deceived you or you were both unbelievers before you married. But even if you're in that situation by your own choice, it's important for you to know that God loves you and that God loves your spouse and that God's desire is to is to support you and encourage you and to help you to love your spouse completely we as a body want to learn to love you and to support you and to encourage you and we as a body want to be committed to your spouse they're part of us as well they're family because they're married to you Malachi then goes on we're in some deep water here guys (laughs) there's some heavy issues but uh Again, let's be grateful that God loves us enough to come straight at us and talk to us about these things. Malachi goes on to talk about another place where um, the uh, Israelites were compromising their integrity before God. But before he gets into the details, he talks about the, uh, the pain involved with this. Verse 13, he says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hand. It says that they're, they're crying, they're in pain because God isn't listening to them. Now, is it true that if you're sinning, God doesn't listen to you? Yes, that is true. The only prayer God hears when you're choosing sin is the prayer of repentance. Psalm 66, 18, David writes, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not listen to my prayer. Again, God loves us too much to, to, to just sit by while we merrily go on to the path, on the path of our destruction. He, he, he loves us too much to pretend. God is not codependent. He is not an enabler. But He continues to love us. He continues to care. And He will forgive. And what's the specific sin that He's dealing with here in Malachi? Verse 14. You ask why? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant... Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are His. And why one? Because He's seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. God says he hates two things here. One is he hates divorce. The other, he hates a man covering himself with violence. I've heard it said that divorce is the plague of our age. The plague is a lot more than that. The, 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 The destruction 
The loss of intimacy that ends in divorce is the true plague. That's what God hates. Now, we need to understand what was going on in Malachi's time. And we need to understand what's going on today because this is a big issue for us. Malachi's day, the uh, man was really completely in control. The women uh, were completely dependent on their husbands for sustenance, uh, for protection. They had virtually no formal legal protection. A wife could not divorce her husband. A husband could divorce his wife as as he chose. But God's design was that a husband and wife were to be for each other, to be partners, to be mutually submitted, encouraging, loving each other, really knowing each other's needs, fears, desires. And when a couple entered into the marriage contract, they were contracting to become complete partners. Verse 14, he says, that men had broken faith with their wives, even though she is their partner. See, breaking faith with their wife was far more than just sexual unfaithfulness. It was was breaking the contract to love her and to encourage her and to serve her, to be her partner. Instead, men were were using their wives, even uh, perpetrating violence against them if they frustrated them in any way. This made God angry. God hates this. He hates to see one of his greatest gifts perverted and destroyed. The loving partnership between a husband and wife. Okay, what's different today? Well, the only difference I see today is that in our society, uh, women do have more authority. They have more legal protection. They have more financial ability. And these are good things in themselves. It is a good thing that our society recognizes the, 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 the dignity and the, the, the personhood of women. It's a good thing that women have more recourse to deal with violence and violation. Violation and violence and disrespect are wrong. They should stop. God still hates them. We should support the empowerment of women. But along with power comes the danger of abusing that power. See, in Malachi's day, the, uh, the, the, the abuse of power was really a male issue because the men were the only ones that had any power. Today, as women are appropriately being empowered they again run the risk or the possibility increases that that power will be abused. See, the problem hasn't changed. The, change, the, the, the problem is the use of power in a way that violates the partnership, that violates the commitment, the mutual love and support. The only difference today is that that power is a little more evenly distributed. And so it's subject to abuse by both sides. So what Malachi is saying applies to both men and women. Now, having said that, I want to acknowledge that even in our society, that that the uh, distribution of power is still weighted more heavily toward men. 
And the abuse of that power is still more of a male problem, though not by any means exclusively. Even though more women file for divorce. We need to also recognize, though, that the that what God hates is not just the legal filing for divorce. What God hates is the destruction of the commitments and the love and the partnership. See, the legal filing is just the end product. It is so frustrating for me, personally, when I find myself trying to shepherd a couple through a time where one of the couples has really been the one who has uh, damaged the relationship, who has, who has violated the partnership, abused their power. Well, the other couple who's done everything they can to, to nurture the relationship is the one who takes the heat because they're the ones that separate. See, God hates the selfishness. He hates the willfulness and, and the hard-heartedness that creates the situation. And God serves as a witness between you and your spouse when you violate the partnership. Either of you, husband or wife. Now, there are times when uh, legal divorce is appropriate. Jesus himself spoke on this issue. And we as a church uh, try to understand the biblical teaching, help you understand the biblical teaching. We have a, a policy statement that we are, are, are constantly refining, trying to reflect the true biblical teaching. In fact, right now we're considering a couple of possible revisions. But even that, if you take that policy statement and just use it as a checklist to see if you can get divorced, it misses the whole point. You know, let's back up and look at, at the whole point. The point of this passage is that when we fail to listen to God, when we fail to give Him the, the, the true weight in our lives, to cultivate our loving relationship with Him, it bears bad fruit in our relationships with each other, especially in our relationship with our spouse. When there's a fundamental dishonesty in our relationship with God, it's got to affect the next most intimate relationship, our relationship with our spouse. The religious veneer that we use at church and among our friends cannot hide the problem. Let me read to you uh, a statement by a, a, a wife of a prominent minister. This man has a national radio program. He's considered one of the pillars of American Christianity. And this is what his wife said right after she filed for divorce. I have been dismayed at my husband's refusal to accept the critical state of our marriage. Instead, he has made repeated announcements from the pulpit that progress was being made, when in fact the very opposite was true. From the sound of it, this woman is acting out of her frustration. She has tried everything, and this man will not listen. I don't know any of the details and any of the circumstances. And I still believe that without biblical justification, divorce is wrong. But I can hear her frustration. His failure to hear her is wrong. I only wish there were people around him that would have grabbed him and said, Stop! Listen to your wife. They would have pulled him out of the pulpit and said, your world needs to grind to a halt until you address the problems in your marriage. See, how often I have heard this same story. 
one partner who tries and tries and tries and collapses in frustration. Let me uh, speak especially to you men. Stop. Listen to your wives. Stop excusing. Stop blaming it on her demandingness, on her instability, on, on PMS. Listen to her. Stop telling yourself that it isn't that bad, that she'll get over it. Listen to your wife. Forget about your reputation. Forget about your image. Get some help. See, none of the rest of that stuff matters. Face your resistance to God and love your wife to the point of giving your life for her. And Malachi says, guard the, your, the spirit in your heart. Guard your heart, what you think about her, what the, the tapes you let yourself play. Stop. Realize that she belongs to God and is God's greatest gift to you. And thank Him for it. And ask Him to teach you how to treasure that gift. When our uh, true submission to God degenerates, we lose all perspective. We begin to view our careers as the priority. We begin to view our need for rest as the priority. We begin to view uh, our own goals and desires as the priority. This happens to both men and women. These are not the priority. The priority is falling in love with the God who loves you and wants to give you life and peace. That's the priority. Marriage is hard. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. No one could have prepared you for how hard it is. You've got two wounded people and you bring them together and they're very different from each other and they're trying to share the most intimate part of themselves. The pain, the confusion, the frustration that goes along with that process will break you to the core of your being. But that's God's plan. That's His design. It should break you. It's supposed to break you. And then in that broken state, we we turn to God. No games, no masks. Honestly. By His Spirit, He draws us into deeper intimacy with Himself. And with that intimacy, knowing His, His tender love in the midst of our broken heart, knowing His pleasure in us, His respect for us, we're able to love our spouse with strength and integrity. And hopefully, though not always, our spouse will be drawn toward God by our honest and strong love for God. Now, there's one more point. I'm completely out of time. This is out of control, and I I apologize. But i got to make one more point. There's a lot more (laughs) that could be said. But I want to stress the fact that God hates divorce, but He loves people who have been through a divorce, and He loves people whose marriage is in trouble. And we as a church need to hold on to this. When our people are hurting among us, our brothers and sisters, we need to come alongside of them, to, to treat them with love and respect. They are not contaminated. They, we cannot assume that they're sinning. They may be the victims of the abuse of power. Don't add to their victimization by just heaping on condemnation. 
If you know them, come alongside them. Listen to them. Affirm God's love. Help them to see how intensely He loves them. Now, if they are sinning, gently draw them back to truth. But do so in a way that listens, in a way that that, that shares their burden, that shares their pain. Don't just throw Scripture at them. Don't beat them up with the truth. Don't uh, uh, assume they haven't been trying. This is your brother, your sister. Malachi has already told us that that we are to come alongside, to to help our brother and sister. But as you try to to express God's love, as you try to sort out how to, to, to offer comfort as well as truth, as you try to walk through this confusing, painful, unstable, traumatic time with them, you are forced back to God. To turn to Him, to depend on Him for the wisdom, for the compassion, for the the, the endurance to walk through this time with your brother or sister. If you don't do this, you're going to do more harm than good. It breaks my heart to hear uh, of people who are going through the hardest part of the hardest time in their entire lives who feel like they need to run away from their Christian friends, run away from their church because of the pain inflicted. But if you come back to God, broken yourself, ready to to be His instrument, to hang in there and to love them, then God will enable you to fulfill your your loving contract with your brother. Again, this is what it all boils down to. This is the beginning point, and this is the end point. It all comes down to each of us honestly coming back before God, submitting to Him, uh, depending on on him. It all comes down to each of us giving God the proper weight in our lives, responding to his love, hearing his call to himself. Well, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, you've given it to us because you love us, not to push us away, but to draw us to you. Lord, open our eyes, remove the mask, help us to face ourselves, to turn to you. Lord, we do trust you, we do praise you. Lord, we, uh, I, I just ask that you break each of us before you, so that we can become your instruments to proclaim your excellencies, to draw close to you and know that intimacy. Pray this in your name. Amen.